We were designed for deep and intimate connection, but far too often we find ourselves on relational autopilot. You want the marriage you dreamed of, not the marriage that you're settling for. Each week we share personal and professional stories, giving you tools and guidance, empowering you to restore and reimagine the marriage you always wanted. Welcome to the Thrive Marriage Podcast. This week we're going to talk about um, a little bit of what Chris and I appreciated from our conversation with Sam Jolman. And one of the things that Sam talked about was uh, in conflict that under every disagreement, under every argument, there's desire. Under every argument is desire. Yeah. So let me just tell you that I think that we have a tremendous amount of desire in our marriage. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I can remember when we, uh, the uh, difference between my brother and his wife and you and I, my brother and his wife are, I, I would say that they are um, uh, less likely to have conflict, maybe even like conflict avoidant, or at least I don't know about today, but well, they were say, in the beginning, they were more peacemakers. Public, con- public conflict. Right. That because we saw. when we were mixing that, uh, we would do it in front of your, your folks and we would do it in front of your brother and sister-in-law. Made everyone tense. Well, yeah, we did. They, they thought we would never make it, I'm mm-hmm. sure. So 33 years later, I feel quite a we're, sense of vindication. We're, we're still here. Yeah. And, and apparently you can argue and make it. Apparently. We're not dead. <laughs> Okay. Monty Python. I'm not dead yet. I'm not dead yet. So, um, so I. What are some of the things that you think that we have argued about, or so, that we can that that are thematic places where we find ourselves having arguments? So here's where I think I am a little bit. Um, there are lots of places that we could go, but but there are foundational places in any relationship. They're important. So I think I want to keep it real. And I don't think I want to keep it real. And in that uh, areas where we fight, we fight about sex. Uh, we fight about money. Uh, I think we fight sometimes about our beliefs, Tracy. And, and certainly we fight about the children. Mm-hmm. I, I think that's true. And I think, you know, 33 years later, those will be things that, uh, that continue to come up. When I think about money, um, you and I have both said this to couples that we have met with over the years, that if you're fighting about money, it's never about the money. The money is just shining a spotlight on, on what is actually going on. So, so I, you know, and probably a desire that's underneath that, but maybe other things that are, that are feeling broken. What, um, what's it about for you when we fight about money? Well, I mean, that's in a nutshell. I mean, 30 seconds or less type deal. One of the things that... I feel like we fight about the fact that I want to spend it. <laughs> yeah. And you and want, I want to save, save it. it. Yeah. <laughs> but that's but not totally true because you want to spend it too. I do. I, and, and it's just, uh, sometimes we fight about money because we don't have enough money to spend the way I want to spend it. Mm-hmm. I want to spend it. But I think really for me, it comes, it, it starts so much earlier than... Uh, than our our marriage trace. Uh, if you've listened to some of the other uh, podcasts that we've done, uh, we mentioned at once that you came from a, a family of of some of affluency, and I was the free lunch kid, mm-hmm. uh, free uh, breakfast, uh, food stamp kid. My dad was a, a government employee, public servant. But I can remember, and I knew this at far too young an, an age. Um, I can remember we were at risk of losing our house. We were. 
uh, three months or three years or three weeks, whatever it is behind of whatever was necessary to keep our house. And so we were at risk of foreclosure. And so money in that moment represented uh, home. It represented security. Um, and so I, all I knew is if you don't have money, you don't, you're afraid. And so money hmm. was tied to, to fear for me. I was afraid that I, I wouldn't, I would lose my home. I would lose my family. And as a kid, your imagination goes all kinds of places. Uh, and when I grew up, you would think, oh, those childish fears would go away. And many of them do, um, but they have their impact on you. And so not having money is, there's a very fearful place um, for me in, in the money aspect. And maybe some shame. Oh, absolutely. I think one of the reasons uh, my parents were in debt as, as, as far as I can remember, and I can remember, these are the old days, guys. Um, but we didn't uh, ATM everything. We wrote checks. And my mom knew that if she would take her signature just below the, the, the uh, line that the computer read, if you draw through that line, it would take a, they'd have to process the check by hand, not manually. And it would take them a day longer. And so she could write a check, float a check on Thursday uh, that wouldn't then clear the, the bank till Monday. And dad got paid on Friday. So it was all good. Um, so... Mm. Those things are just, it was a struggle for me um, to not, uh, and, and one of the early days, in the early days when I was running the books trace, I needed to know down to every penny I remember. on money. And you brought me your check statements when we first got married and you had tons of extra money. I had them in a <laughs> basket because I didn't have that many bills. And so I just kept a running Kind of a, I, my theory was you just round up. Round so up, if yeah. I wrote the check for $11.50, I just rounded up in my register to 12 and I could, I could keep track of that. So when my statements came, I just threw them in this big basket on the floor, my closet, because I didn't balance my checkbook. I didn't need to. Yeah. And so I remember that too. I brought all the, you're like, well, we need to close your checking account because we were opening our joint account and you wanted to know like when my last check would clear and I had absolutely no idea. And I handed you all of my And statements. the funniness of that is in, in the way you actually, that was a, a form of, you had a savings account. Mm -hmm. uh, it, it was an unorthodox one from my <laughs> perspective, but at, at the end of the day, uh, you had rounded so many times that we went out and for us, it was a real splurge, a special deal. We bought a CD player. And you were mad the whole time. I was mad because the irresponsibleness in my, you broke my rules, but, but we had, it's weird because we had, but for me, back to the money, the, the, the desire is to have the freedom to do those things, which I want and not feel encumbered to my debt. Um, and I, you know, I think, um, I would share, I would share that when I think about uh, why we fight about money uh, and, and where, you know, sometimes it was just like, we were super tight. And, um, and I think that money was just a place where other um, tension and uh, fear that we had just sort of blew out sideways. It could blow out over money. But when I think about, why I, why I spend money and when I spend money in ways that, uh, that, that provoke you. Yeah. So I, I will spend money, um, when I want to numb something. So if I can go out and 
if things are feeling hard or things are feeling tense and my desire is to not have to feel whatever I'm feeling, I, you know, a quick trip to the Nordstrom rack can make me feel better. We've, we've joked about it. It's retail therapy. And, and for mm-hmm. you, it's, it's very effective. I don't know that it's, it's not healthy, but, but I, that has certainly been, that has certainly been something. And, uh, and, and when we will argue about it, um, I know that I, I haven't wanted to tell you, I haven't wanted to bring that level of vulnerability to maybe why I went and bought whatever it was that I bought. And so uh, there'd be a defensiveness instead of just saying, you know what, I, I just wanted to not feel sad for, yeah. you know. You know, um, Tracy, as I, even as I was hearing you say that just now, I just was stirred that I think desire for me kind of comes in two forms, uh, desire from and desire for. Mm. And in that, uh, and maybe, maybe it's a good place to step into our next field, uh, would be our intimacy, our, our sex life. And sometimes I think I approach sex as a desire from uh, the hurt, the pain, the sorrow, the fear, whatever is ailing me in the world. It's not about you at all, but I, I desire to flee that, uh, to move from that. And so I come to you for refuge. Um, I don't think that's the best, uh, the best of, of, of what our sex life looks like when I come for that reason. The other one is a desire for uh, when I desire uh, for connection with you, when I desire for intimacy, for rest in your arms, for um, peace in your presence. Uh, and in that, uh, and, and please, when I'm talking about sex, not always intercourse, um, sex, there's much more that sexual, um, a cold day, a warm blanket and an ocean wave um, feels so intimate and so fulfilling for me in our sex life. Uh, and, and so I just think that uh, when I think about sex, for, for me, it's uh, my, my best sex with you is when it's sex for, mm-hmm. um, for intimacy, for connection, for belonging with you, not sex from, uh, fleeing from the distractions, the busyness, the hurt, the sorrow, uh, whatever the day held that wasn't about you. Yeah, I mean, I think I think we we could talk about that more, and we probably will talk about that more in months to come. I mean, there's a lot to be said around around sex, um, and as you say those things, I you can think about when we would have those arguments, and I think that oftentimes um, the most escalated arguments that we would have were probably fueled some by that, uh, that desire that you had to maybe escape a desire from, not for. Oh my goodness, yes. Because I know what my pushback and the, and the uh, from my side, the desire underneath would just to feel like be, that I could feel like I was enough. And I could just never, I don't think I ever felt like I was enough for you in those spaces. And it wasn't until probably we each did enough of our own story work for, for you to discover what was going on for you um, in those spaces. And, and the same for me. And then the realization, like I, I was never going to be enough Yeah, in, you- in those spaces. I was never going to be enough for you. 
And um, I'll tell you something that was really revolutionary for me to make progress in my thought process there is as I begin to delve greater into the Enneagram. Uh, and I'm a self-identified seven, an enthusiast. Uh, and in that, I, I think I'm a joy bringer. And that's the good part of it. But the, each of the, the Enneagram types also has a, a sin, a primary um, shortcoming. And in, in, in for a seven, that's gluttony. So uh, certainly that, uh, that uh, spills over into our sex life. If once a week is good, then two a week is better. If once a day is, is good, then two a day is better. And it's always that one more. And that's not just with our, our intimacy. Uh, that's, you know, if I'm playing cards, if playing till midnight is good, playing till two in the morning is better. Um, if I had a, a glass of wine that's exquisite, then the second glass is even better. Mm -hmm. And so I always, uh, I have that propensity just for that one more. But when we put it into that uh, sex life, that intimacy, it becomes, uh, it's destructive, not productive. And as we're talking, I, you know, I, I think part of what we're naming is that our war with desire um, uh, often, um, frequently, starts to tip into addiction and where we're, we're, you know, which is like desire gone mad. Oh my goodness. Yeah. Right. And so, um, and so instead of, instead of attending to what our actual desire is, we substitute something. Um, and, and now we're in the realm of lust, but not, that's not just with sex. I mean, it's with my, you know, shopping, I'm guilty too. Um, what, uh, so we argue about the kids. Never, never argue about the kids. What do you think when we're fighting about the kids or, or yeah, arguing, fighting, fighting is probably too big, but when we start to mix it up about the kids, what, a, what is generally going on for you? What's your desire? Well, that's, again, that's where it partly where my desire has been broken, um, and, and in that, uh, my story uh, in my family of origin, my dad was, uh, as a young boy, I would say he was a strong disciplinarian mm -hmm. being raised in, a, in a, a home of faith. But realistically, my dad's discipline at times was abusive. Mm -hmm. And so um, I, I toned down the discipline with our children, uh, you know, just five or six notches on the dial but when, when you were disciplined or when you were abused and, and you're looking at numbers on a scale of one to 10, you're doing an 11, 12, or 13. Uh, I can remember uh, one time um, my mom asked me at my dad's funeral, she asked me as I was painting a scene of abuse for my brother, where did, where did that occur? And she, she, uh, I told her where I was abused uh, on one side of the house in, uh, by our neighbors. And she goes, oh, because I can remember this scene of abuse. Mm -hmm. And it was on, on the, the other, other side, side of the, of the house, house with the other neighbor. Mm -hmm. But it didn't include being hit by a two by four. Mm -hmm. And so there were times that I was too angry with the children and disciplined too much uh, on, on a real scale. But I'm going, at least I didn't hit them with a two by four. Well, and right, because I often, uh, I will interject or intercede because I think you're being too harsh. Yeah. And I think we end up, we have ended up in an argument because in your mind, you're not being, that's not harsh, right? Yeah. In comparison to what you, you had. But, but I wonder, Mark, so, so my desire when, I mean, you know, was to protect them. But I'm not, this, we're not in the realm of, of like you being physically 
harsh with them. I think you're verbally harsh. Like just the intensity mm-hmm. of what you bring is yep. crushing sometimes. And I, I feel like it's crushing. And so my desire is to preserve connection. I, uh, for you with them and, uh, and, and for them with their, with their sense of who they are, um, and, and their connection with me. And so I, I will get pretty fierce in that space. I wonder though, so what, what is it that you're wanting? So I think I want to, I want to fabricate and I use that word uh, and not necessarily productively. I want to fabricate, fabricate qualities in the kids. Um, I was raised with, with such scarcity that I want to, to develop in them a sense of gratitude, not a sense. I don't sense. think that's fabrication. I think you have a genuine desire that they would. I so want them I to think be grateful, not to be entitled. Well, and I think that you have a, a desire for uh, their character to be deep. Yeah, I do. And strong. So, I, I mean, I, I, again, like, I think your desire is, some, is good. It's just the execution my tactics. Your tactics are questionable they're little, sometimes. They're a little far. Yeah. <laughs> um, and by the same token, you'll think that I'm being too soft, right? Yeah. I'm not holding the line. And this is the other thing I think, and we have both changed uh, the story that our older three kids would tell about discipline in our house and, uh, and how they experienced both of us is a different story than our younger two, because that there's a decade between our the youngest of the original three and and Libby and so a lot a lot of change there for sure I think the last thing that we argue about maybe even more today um, than ever before is around our beliefs oh absolutely we uh, we are further apart in in some foundational beliefs uh, and not the preeminent not the most important beliefs but we are uh, further apart on our beliefs than, than we've ever been before. And I think part of that is because our character allows us to be mm-hmm. and still be in unity. Um, well, because I think we both felt, I know I felt um, that I had to, if I was being a good wife, I believed all the things that you believed. Like being one flesh meant we believed all the same things about all the same things. And uh and so I, you know, I, I wouldn't and didn't feel the freedom to hold different beliefs than you, than you held. And for a long time, I think we just, we just lived in that space and we shared all of these beliefs um, and, and a lot of them genuinely, but as time has gone on and I, and you have been generous in this way, you've been permission giving maybe with even, maybe you regret being so permission giving. <laughs> maybe, maybe so, maybe so sometimes. <laughs> You know, for me, though, Trace, I think uh, what I, I needed to allow us to be different mm-hmm. in our beliefs is, uh, and I want to just give uh, credit to uh, one of my professors in seminary named Glenn Kreider. And, and Glenn just uh, revealed through Genesis 1, uh, God's uh, plan was co-dominion for the man and the woman. And my dad was totally complementarian uh, in that. My mom needed to submit to him no matter what his leadership looked like. Mm-hmm. And Glenn gave me permission to honor your intellect, to honor your um, gifting, uh, where we could uh, both rule, mm-hmm. um, still cooperatively, still uh, interdependently, 
but I didn't have to silence your voice in order for my voice to be spoken. So it simply gave me permission to battle with you mm -hmm. where our beliefs could mm -hmm. uh, vary there. Well, and, uh, and I, I, I think that our arguments, when we argue in that space of belief today, I, I don't want to speak for you, but I know that for me, I want us to be in the same place. It not, I want you to vacate what you believe so we can be in the same place. But like, I, I want us to be in the same place. There's a sweetness of that. And there are places where, um, where it's pretty tender for me. Some of the, some of the, the tension that we hold today uh, feels tender where I'm in one place with regards to, you know, a, a piece of theology or something that I'm believing in. You're in a different place and uh, if I don't just let myself feel sad about it, or, or if we can't be in a place of sort of shared um, sadness or, or connection, even about where we're not believing the same thing, I, I can start a fight with you for sure. You, you know, just as I think, you know, our, I'm sure our time's running out, Trace, but if I were really honest, I believe one of the most important facets of who we are today uh, has been that we don't have to flee mm -hmm. the sadness, that we can mourn mm -hmm. cooperatively together, sometimes uh, just alongside of one another. Mm -hmm. um, but where we sorrow well together, um, there's an intimacy for us that is uh, miserable and that's delightful. Right. Uh, and and that, that ability to sorrow together. It's been good. Yeah. Thanks for listening to the Thrive Marriage Podcast, where each week we're bringing you personal and professional stories to help your relationship. You can learn more about us at restorationcounselingnoco.com or find out more about the Thrive Marriage Lab membership community over in our digital laboratories, restorylabs.com. We open membership up only twice a year, so make sure you join the waitlist to be the first to know. We'll see you same time, same place next week.